Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 233. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have a returning guest, Matt DiBiase. Kip, it's good to be back. And it's really good to have you back for a discussion on nourishing creativity, something I think is important, under-considered, and undervalued in a lot of ways, because I think we tend to undervalue the arts and creativity, But how do we get there? How do we actually inspire people or encourage them to be creative? I believe that's an important first step. And to give the audience a bit of perspective as to how I arrived at the topic, there was a YouTube video I watched about three months ago of a man surprising his wife with a tablet so that she could better explore her side projects in painting. And he explained to the audience of the video before he surprised his wife that the display of the tablet would allow her to look at high-resolution photos that she would then paint and that it would make her life as a creator that much easier. It's a relatively simple premise, but it really got my mind going because that's a financial means of investing in someone else's creativity. And while I think there are many approaches that we as people could make to encourage or nourish creativity in others, That was just a really poignant moment for me. I think partially, and Matt, I know you can relate to this, because family members of mine have been especially encouraging of my creativity in the technology they've given for me as presents, in the books they've encouraged me to read, in the courses they've encouraged me to take in school. And a lot of this topic is likely to come back to socioeconomic privilege. And I can't deny that you and I grew up in a rather affluent town in Massachusetts. But I also think there are ways of encouraging creativity in social, sociological, digital, and various other ways. Because encouragement, much like discouragement and hopelessness, can come from a number of routes and directions. But given that prologue, Matt, I'll turn it over to you because I'd love to hear your initial thoughts when I first pose the topic to you. Yeah. Part of the reason I really wanted to talk about this topic in particular is because the more I've been out of school, the more I've come to terms with how much privilege and how much of my success is attributable to how much I felt supported and nourished in my own creativity when I was younger. And I myself identify as a creative, an artist, because I'm a musician. You immediately touched on these sort of three different lenses with which you can view nourishing people's creativity One of which, I guess I'll just come from the privilege I was just talking about in my own youth, which is that I think in the communities we were raised when we were younger, there's a lot of specialization. Everyone's in their own world and everyone has access to so much stuff. And to a certain extent, this is this is true with technology for everyone. We tend to pigeonhole ourselves into these smaller individualized worlds and we find our communities for them online and in forums and everything. And I think when you have something like a family with such a diverse spectrum of talents, it becomes increasingly hard to support each other directly within the creative realm. And I think for my family, at least, we are all aware of each other's talents, but often the most effective way of nourishing that becomes a material or financial means. We were just talking briefly before recording that technology can manifest in ways where you do directly support people's creativity and nourish it. People buy my record online. Most often people purchase my music and nourish my creativity in that way through a digital means. So I'm very grateful to have technology on my side there. People like my content. They share my content. 
that feels like people are nourishing my creativity. And that's one realm that I think is very important to acknowledge. But at the same time, the pigeonholing is the negative side of that. There's two sides to the coin, I think, with every single one of these lenses that we talk about. But technology and affluence and specialization and pigeonholing is kind of one avenue to look at it. The idea of pigeonholing really fascinates me. And if the audience were here in person, they could look down at my notepad and see that I have a single arrow flowchart moving from individualized worlds to overly specialized, question mark. And I wrote down that very basic question because your comment sparks in me the thought that maybe as we get more specialized as people, especially in creative realms, it's harder and harder to relate to one another. If you're a creative type, you may share something in common with other creative types. But as we get more and more specialized, as our technology and tools allow us to do more precise and technical tasks, it does become harder to explain to other people what it is that you do or how you derive pleasure or an end product in your creativity. How often are we in non-creative settings at a party and someone asks us to explain what our job is? Well, humanity and society have evolved to such an extent that many of our jobs don't make any sense to people outside of our industries. And I think that's really interesting at the end of the day. And rather than a wall past which we can't communicate, I really think it's more of a peak that we should intend to climb and overcome. I don't think communication is limited in that sense. And I do suspect a lot of us would understand rather clearly if we each took the time to explain our pigeonholed worlds, whether they were creative in nature or otherwise. You can always, with technology and the pigeonholing phenomena, look at it in a negative and positive way. I think even the fact that we've used the term pigeonholing brings a negative connotation to it. But for me, I actually do have mainly a positive outlook on it because there's so many people in this world that we do, I think, need to have such specialized industries. And the more specialized we get, the more creative we get within those industries and the better we are at communicating and finding those communities using technology to achieve what we want to and push the boundaries forward with that industry. I do look at it primarily as a thing of beauty than a dangerous thing to be careful of. And I wanted to transition a little bit to another lens on it, which is kind of this lens of instead of this technological or, or more like upbringing lens we were talking about, more the personal lens, because I feel like there's definitely a perspective and things to be said there. On that realm, the boundaries that you have with your family members in terms of profession really break down. And I think there's a really important thing to be said about in terms of nourishing creativity, it's not always about driving someone's inspiration directly. I think the clearest analogy I can bring to this scenario is as a musician, I achieve the best state of improvising and serving the music that I want when I feel most comfortable with the other musicians around me and I feel supported. I can be in a position of vulnerability and really express what I want and nourish that creativity only because of the support and the ground I feel that I'm standing on with other humans. In that sense, with how much we're all in our digital worlds and communicating with the people we want to communicate, I think people really underestimate the value of providing a launch pad, a sense of emotional support. Whether it's financial stability or emotional stability with your personal relationships, I think that is really the most effective way of nourishing someone's creativity because it's personal and it serves more value than having a piece of technology. 
one final closing remark I'll make on that and then kind of turn it back to you, Kip, is I do think that the most valuable resource in today's society is becoming one-on-one human attention, genuine human attention. And one other thing I'd like to mention is that in the spring of 2018, I was going through a very difficult transition in my life and my creativity was at an all-time low. It was in the gutter. And at that time, I really appreciated Kip being a source of support for me and a support of stability and a place that I could be vulnerable and say what I needed to say. And because I had Kip in my life, I think I really did make it through that time with a more level-headed and nourished sense of self-worth. And that's why I was able to get out of it. So it's people like you and conversations like this that we're having right now that enable people to have that sense of creativity. Well, I'm really touched to hear that. And I'm glad that I could have that role for you. And that links well to a flip side of the coin that I'd like to throw out there that I think oftentimes people might pigeonhole themselves in their creative pursuits. If you see someone as a stand-up comedian or a pianist, maybe you see them as a painter or a photographer, that's how you begin to envision them in their free time, in their creativity. And I think there can be a downside to that, which I'll hypothetically link to what you had just described of that difficult period for you, in which we, as the friends or support group of a person we love who is creative, presume that they are only happy in a single mode of creation or creativity, and almost force them to have a relationship with something that might not be a long-term thing in their lives. If someone explores playing the guitar and they really love it for a few years and fall out of love with it, I think two primary responses would come to mind for most people. One is to understand and allow that person to quit, maybe to change instruments or stop playing music altogether or for a short time. And I think the other could involve a little bit more friction, maybe to a positive end result, but possibly causing frustration, which might be, are you sure about this? You should really play it. I'm pretty sure you love playing the guitar. And I think with creative types, a lot of us, myself included, forget how much energy it can take from a person. And that even if they love it, that doesn't mean it doesn't exhaust them in some capacity or that they have this infinite dynamo of energy with which to create. They're still human and therefore subject to changing whims or maybe low periods. So again, I'm really honored that I was able to support you, and that means a great deal to me. But I also hope that people in positions of support do enough listening to recognize how someone is experiencing a low period, because it could be a period of change or escape from a realm of creativity that they are, for their own personal reasons, done with for the time being. Yes, I think a shoot off of what you were just describing would be the role of short term creativity in people's lives as opposed to long term creativity. Those are kind of difficult to define, I think, but the role of someone having a hobby. I think I'm always going to be able to talk about music in this context, but pianist Herbie Hancock, which many of you will know, this big name in the jazz world, was once asked, Herbie, how do you develop your touch at the piano? My touch at the piano isn't good. How do I do it? And Herbie says, develop your life first. And in that sense, your creativity will shine when you have many other realms of your life nourished and diversity in that sense. 
you can always foster someone trying something new, whether it just be trying new food or trying a new instrument or trying a new job or quitting their job if they just need a break. Anything in that sense, I think fostering and nourishing short term experiments, so to speak, rather than these long term big decisions. I have this friend who always tells me there are no big decisions in life, there are only lots of small decisions. And in that sense, when you break things down and you try them on a smaller scale, it enables you to have more creativity. And I think looking at life as a series of smaller decisions and short term decisions nourishes creativity more than looking at the big picture a lot of the time. And even in that remark, I'm very inclined to agree with your friend, by the way, my mind goes in a million different directions. And I think about how creativity can exist, not necessarily in a large scale, what someone's hobby or skill set is, but also in the micro sense. I think a lot of us in conversation have ticks or catchphrases, things that we do that I think could just as reasonably be described as flares of creativity or style. The way someone chooses to hold a book or turn a page, maybe even the way someone chooses to type on a keyboard or click with a mouse. We might not deem that as creativity outright because it doesn't seem artistic or necessarily profound, but to me at the soul of creativity is exploring how you explore the world. I think a lot of us do so in a very patterned way, and often because it's been done that way before, and also because there's a fear inherent to the topic of creativity. What if I do something I find inspirational or interesting, and others laugh at me? What if I don't have that crucial element of safety that you, Matt, had mentioned earlier, and I feel vulnerable? I don't want to create under those circumstances because I see judgmental eyes or comments that seem incredibly cruel and critical online. I don't want to share in these circumstances. So there are any number of reasons that people will feel discouraged from feeling creative, but just as we, I feel, can be creative in the smallest of moments and should seek to do so, as I think it brings a really distinct form of joy, I also think there are ways that we can socially encourage that creativity in those small moments. A lot of friendships I really love are those in which we can jump into a bit, essentially an extended joke or premise that is humorous, and explore it for five or more minutes before ultimately returning to a sincere conversation. And while that might be mutually enjoyable for both parties in my case, I also feel encouraged in those moments because it's not everyone with whom I could share a comedic bit, and that's really rare. But I also think that encouraging creativity is a lot easier in many cases than being the source of creativity. To make a performance metaphor, sometimes all a performer needs is applause. And it's not that hard to give. And I wouldn't be surprised in our wiring as social creatures if those who are giving the applause feel a similar chemical relief in the brain when they applaud and congratulate people around them as do performers who are receiving those congratulations and signs of approval. And that might sound reductive to some people, but I do think that is the symbiotic way in which creatives and their audiences operate in really beautiful harmony. And it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. Yes, I do think this communal and symbiotic way of people being equally vulnerable, people needing to clap in public and a performer getting appreciated is the most effective way to nourish creativity. 
But as a performer, it's funny how I approach a performance. This is kind of something I wanted to mention as an artist myself. It kind of goes in contrast to what you said, or it's maybe just a different perspective that I think a lot of performers assume when they conduct a performance. And this brings me to kind of the final lens that I wanted to talk to about with nourishing creativity, which is that sometimes just focusing entirely on what you are capable of and what you specialize in and what you can inspire other people to do is the most effective way. There are different times, I think, where all these lenses come into play. I've certainly found myself receiving a lot of feedback on being an inspiring figure in other people's lives when I focus most on me and doing what I do best as hard as I absolutely can, that thing being music. Now, I think that has cost me some really valuable relationships personally, romantically, as a friend. But in terms of this feeling of vulnerability when you are creating, I have entered this world where I can do a lot of it by myself now with music production and performing as a solo artist. And you really do enter this realm of being who you are in the rawest form as hard as you can when you perform. Every time you perform, I believe you extend a mimetic invitation. And when you make your mimetic invitation as transparent as you can, people can most effectively understand it and feel inspired by that. So I often ask myself the question, how can I do what I want as hard as I can, but in a way that is most accessible to people? I play a lot of notes sometimes when I improvise, and that just sounds like a jumble of notes to a lot of people. But I'm starting to get into this more visual realm with my animating that is extending a different kind of invitation, I think, to a lot of audience members. And sort of just to put a little closure on that, I do think people sometimes underestimate what appears to be somewhat selfish on the surface of indulging in themselves when really you are going down that pigeonhole and inspiring all the people most directly related to you who can achieve the most and contribute the most to the world as you do that. I'm so happy that you bring up inspiration because in the absence of creativity and the inspiration I believe it can bring with it, we often tend to live in rather mundane circumstances. One example I find really compelling, although some listeners might roll their eyes or currently be in a very relevant environment, is the airport and how we board or settle into planes. We've all heard the safety tutorials, we've all watched those videos, we're aware of how to find the emergency exits and how to use our seatbelts or our underseat cushions as flotation devices. But in recent years, some really lovely and charming videos have come out across social media of flight attendants who choose to sing, rap, or maybe even make comedy out of these tutorials because that engages with a part of the mind where we expect one thing and are given another. And so it's not only in the arts that I think creativity really shines, but when we believe our lives are mundane, the ability of creativity to shake that up and change things, I don't really think there's a limit to the ways in which we can be creative. I'm often reminded of one of my favorite episodes of this show, I believe it was 121, talked about the stigmatization of play and the fact that as we get older, we play less and less. And I think as a result, lose our associations as people with the idea of being creative, with trying things out and seeing what sticks. And for me, the flight attendant example is so meaningful because that's a job. Someone is being paid to do that. 
And if you choose to look at it on an economic or capitalist level, I'll bet there are customers who had a better experience and might fly with that airline again because of the creativity that that person chose to employ, which, in the context of our conversation, Matt, might have been a moment of vulnerability. That person might have felt initially scared to try that out for the first time. And I don't doubt that there were critics in the audience who didn't want anything to do with laughter or fun. But I think a majority of people, whether they liked it or not, would have at least appreciated the effort. And certainly the virality of such videos speaks to the popularity of at least trying to be creative. I can think of examples in construction, in which we're all bored with the same rectangular prisms of buildings that we all walk past, and how noteworthy it is when a building has a strange geometric shape. I think many of us prefer murals to bare brick walls or jack-o'-lanterns to pumpkins sitting outside at Halloween. And while some people might say, Kip, that's not a high level of creativity, my intent in this conversation is to show that creativity is omnipresent and should really be championed and cherished. Because, to borrow a term we've used earlier, creativity itself, I think, can burrow deeper and become something more specialized and refined the more we practice with it. And I think a lot of us who explore creativity start in quote-unquote low circumstances and work our way up through practice. But I also don't think it's that simple and that that practice is often made easier by encouraging eyes, ears, laughter, and applause. Yes, I think one really important thing you touched on there was how many different tiers or perspectives you can have on how you manifest creativity in your own life and therefore how you nourish it in others. What I've found myself to come across recently is that there are different tiers, absolutely, for where creativity can manifest, whether it be your job, a conversation you have, how you raise your child, how you structure your day, anything low or high. I have found two pretty clear approaches to finding creativity, one being the bottom-up approach and one being the top-down approach. And for me, the best analogy, of course, I have with this is composing music, but I'm sure that any listener can draw a parallel with it in their own life. I think this is just my best way of explaining it. When I go to write a new piece of music, sometimes I'll start with a very specific rhythm that I just have in my head or a progression or a melody or a bass line, doesn't matter. But I'll start in this very defined small thing and contribute to it and it grows very gradually into something big. And then you have to look at the something big and go, what the heck is this? How do I label this? Where did it come from? How was I feeling when I wrote it? What does it mean? And you have to get creative in that realm too just to try and classify what you were doing. And to clarify that creativity comes in this explorative nature of going from bottom to top. The other side of it is I start composing in an emotional state or some significant life event happens to me where I feel compelled to write something. And in that sense, you start at the top and you say, I want to map this story out. It's a much more storytelling element where you approach it from a skeleton and you fill it in in creative ways. You guide the ear in different creative ways, which I'm sure you do with your editing, with your podcast. There are ways to look at the story as a whole and figure out the intricacies of how to make it more effective. And so that top-down versus that bottom-up way of manifesting creativity in your life and nourishing it in others are two important perspectives, I think, to keep in mind and to acknowledge maybe which one you do more. 
And as you mentioned bottom-up and top-down perspectives, as we begin to wrap up this episode and broaden the discussion from its previous elements, what are some things you'd like the audience to think about or questions you have for them? I think I'll first acknowledge where this one came from, which was you, Kip, but I believe it to be such a good question that I'm going to steal it right now. And that is, why are we hesitant to nourish people's creativity? One reason I might hesitate to do this is because I find myself fearing the change that could result from it and not wanting things to change. But I believe there are many other reasons that we hesitate in these moments because I think creativity is such a beautiful thing and I want, always want more of it in my life. But it's hard to know why sometimes we hesitate. So I would encourage people to think about that. And if it's a good hesitation or if you're doing it for a reason. And where I often ask the audience to think about something or offer a rephrased idea from earlier in the conversation, I'm instead going to ask each of you listening to encourage someone in your life in their own creativity, whether that's going to an art class with them, walking through a gallery or an art installation, watching a movie with them and asking for their opinion, or listening to music together, as I feel we so rarely do in our headphone and earbud culture, any of the above or other ideas that I haven't thought of yet because I'm not that creative in this very moment, that's something I want you to think about. And I don't think it's hard to do, nor do I think it has to consume a great deal of time or effort. And I also think, to an earlier point, it might be just as gratifying for you as it is for them. And I wouldn't be surprised if relationships were strengthened when we encouraged other people in creativity even if that feels like we are giving or spending something, I really think it's more about sharing and connecting with people, as idealistic and saccharine as that might sound. And Matt, you had alluded earlier to your creativity. If I wanted to send people your way to check out your music, where might you have them go? I think a large majority of people are on Instagram nowadays. One of the best ways to find a lot of my creative work is to just search Plexus Play, P-L-E-X-U-S Play on Instagram. And if you're not on Instagram, I'm sure you've used the internet at some point. So my website is Matt with two T's, D-I-B-I-A-S-E, Matt D-B-I-A-S-E, music.com. You can find all my stuff on there. And I will, as ever, link to that in the episode show notes. And I want to thank you for taking the time to explore these ideas with me and share your own insights and questions today. It's been a pleasure. It's always nice to get creative. I wholeheartedly agree. But as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. There is no way Matt and I are the only two creative people in the world, and we would love to hear from more of you. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feedback of any kind, please reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes and pre-show recordings. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.